Hey guys, what's going on? I have a quick apology to make. Uh, my kid was messing around with me on the laptop and he spun my microphone the opposite direction. So for this whole podcast, I was recording into the back of the mic and it was picking up the laptop sound. So I did my best to salvage the audio. You might hear a couple of unfiltered pops and a very bassy almost underwater tone to my voice it won't sound as good as i do now on this delicious audio technica microphone but do not cast judgment upon audio technica it's not their fault it's the kid and it's me for not noticing enjoy the episode where does forgetting sarah marshall rank among the breakup rom-coms of the mid-2000s why did jason siegel's film career go in such a different direction than we expected is filming a movie in hawaii just the easiest way to make it stand out all of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to 8-Bits Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio-Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me, eating Fruit Loops from a giant pasta bowl, <laughs> it's Stephen Del Prado from Player 2. How are you going? I'm quite good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty well. Uh, we've just like this week's been a huge week with work, but also with the release of Trigger Witch, which uh, has been just a massive thing to follow and promote and just get deep into the the weeds on. And uh, I mentioned Player Two. We had a great review from your pal Sean over there. So thanks for that, Sean, if you're listening to this. Uh, and yeah, we, we that was the first review to drop actually, so it was pretty cool to to read that and, and see what he thought of the game. Well, you know, uh, I'm sure he got the check in the mail, but congratulations on the <laughs> launch. It's very exciting yeah. to see. No, I think if the if there was any checks, we would have asked for a bit higher than a B. Would would have wanted to push up into that kind of A, maybe A plus <laughs> range, but uh, maybe, maybe next time. Uh, it's yeah, it's weird how that those things translate to Metacritic, but. That's a different mm. issue. <laughs> learning all about that. Learning all about the uh, the ins and outs of how those things work. But yeah, uh, dear listeners, if you're listening to this and haven't picked up Trigger Witch, go and do it. I wrote the game with uh, my friends over at Rainbite, so it's um, been a bit of a passion project f- for me over the past year and a half. And it's yeah, it's really cool to see that launch and getting well received and lots of love and lots of uh, you know let's plays and twitch streams and clips pop it up on twitter and everything it's it's been it's been pretty wild this week uh so steven we're here to talk about a 2008 romantic comedy that uh you pinpointed as, as something that you'd uh, have a fair bit to say about and it's forgetting sarah marshall uh what was it about this flick that uh made it one of those you know standout comedies of the early 2000s I think there are a couple of reasons. One is that the subject matter is one that's fairly well-trod, but not necessarily from this perspective. Uh, I'd mm. put it up there with probably definitely maybe as one of the sort of guy-focused rom-coms that seemed somewhat in vogue around that period that seemed to have dropped out of popularity again, which is, uh, I guess, kind of interesting. And... Mm. Jason Siegel as well being a pretty unconventional uh, romantic lead in a number of ways. I think a large <laughs> portion of the male uh, audience at that point could 
probably not just uh, see more of themselves in him than the typical male rom-com lead, but also I think it's probably a little bit of a fantasy to have Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell <laughs> fighting over you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're definitely right. Like you think about even just the other people in this movie. Okay, you've got Russell Brand, who's you know a bit of a heartthrob, and then even guys like. Paul Rudd, who's handsome fella, you know, Bill Hader's been in, uh, I guess, you know, a, a rom-com or, or two in his years as well. And typically it is your like Matthew McConaughey or your Hugh Grants or, you know, even Ryan Reynolds earlier in his career who, who were taking those types of roles. So yeah, this is a, a great example, I think, of someone who maybe wanted to make this kind of movie and just went out and did it because he wasn't getting offered those types of roles. So, yeah, really cool to see. And I think that comes from that Judd Apatow school of do-it-yourself. You know, I've talked about this on previous podcasts where he was really uh, encouraging to people like Seth Rogen and to Kristen Wiig in, and ended up being producers in some of their breakout roles. Like, uh Again, like a good example, 40-year-old version with Steve Carell. He encouraged Steve, like, you know, you want to be the star of a movie, you got to write it and you got to make it happen yourself. And he's someone that seems like they're really good at identifying that talent and being a champion for them. And, you know, you mentioned the length of this movie. It definitely feels like an Apatow movie. It's two hours long and it's got a lot of those... Uh, a lot of those trademarks of films that he's involved with, you know, the dialogue that seems improvised and it's, you know, pretty crude and it's, uh, yeah, it's good to see a guy like Jason Siegel just get that opportunity because I know that Apatow wanted Siegel in 40-Year-Old Virgin, but the studio was like, no, he's, he's not right for it or he's, you know, not a big enough name or whatever it is. And he was, I think, devastated that he couldn't have him in there because that's his boy from, you know, back in Freaks and Geeks days. Yeah. So it looks like they finally got there. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really cool. I love seeing these movies where someone like Jason Siegel gets to write the movie and then star in it as well. When just previously to that, he wasn't a movie star by any stretch. No, and even most of his TV projects had sort of fizzled out. So it, and and you are right. It, it does come from that very much Apatow school of thought, where he's basically said to Siegel, "No one is ever going to put you as the lead in a film unless you have written the film. So if that's what you want to do, go and do it." And a lot of this is apparently born out of um, Siegel's experiences. I hear, and I'm sure we'll get to some of those scenes <laughs> as we discuss yes. the film. But yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting to see a lot of those co-stars who a, a lot of them were already fairly big names at that point or were on the way to becoming big, na- big names through that Apatow connection as well. Uh, interestingly mm. enough, though, Apatow himself only producing on this film, so it was um, Nick Stoller who directed it. But again, yeah. a lot of that improv element and that stretched out time length, which I, I imagine maybe has something to do with that improv I guess, facet of the film. Yeah, yeah. there's probably scenes that go longer than they would be scripted to go. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think like just when Apatow's maybe the mentor to someone like Siegel, like you've got to think that Siegel's sitting down with him and working on the script with him and showing it to him and getting notes. So I think most, I, like I've, I've heard and I certainly know from like 
my own experience is that the first time someone writes something, they tend to write like overwrite and it's about cutting it back. So maybe he just wrote a long script and Apatow was like, it's fine as it is. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We'll make it work. We'll get it in post. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So what are your um, memories of this film? Because for me, it's it's one that I don't remember a lot about it leading up to it. I think for me, it was like, oh, it's the movie with Marshall from How I Met Your Mother. And it's also got Marshall in the title. That's kind of weird. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd never thought of that before. Uh, and that was like the first thing that I thought about. I was like, oh, like Marshall's in a movie called Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'll have to check that out. See, I didn't even... I don't think I was watching How I Met Your Mother at that point. So the connection wasn't even there for me, nor was Undeclared or Freaks and Geeks even at that point. I think it was literally, mm. it just struck that same sort of chord as 40-year-old Virgin. And I, I guess some of the trailers must have been very well cut because obviously it got me into the cinema. So I did see this at the cinema in 2008. Mm. But I haven't watched it that much since. This is probably only the second time since seeing it in the cinema that I've sat down and watched the film. Okay. Wow. See, I'm the opposite where I don't remember going to watch it at the movies. I may have, but it doesn't... Like, the, I don't really have a strong memory of watching this for the first time. And that's possibly because I've watched it quite a lot of times. Like, I've probably seen it five times over the years. And I think one of the reasons is because it's set in Hawaii. And that just makes it such a fun movie to rewatch. And especially at a time like now where we're stuck in our homes, it's winter here, and it's much more wintry down where I am than where you are in Queensland. Oh, yes. And it's 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 just like, I want to get out of my living room, so I'm going to put on a movie, whether it's a Jurassic Park or it's something like this. They're, you know, these movies that are made in Hawaii just look amazing. And even like, I went to Hawaii probably two, two three years ago with my wife, and I feel like it was the kind of thing where to get myself psyched for the holiday, I might have watched the movie <laughs> or I might have watched it like on the like after getting home from Hawaii. And that really adds a bit like anytime you think about a movie and it's a place that you've been to, you tend to feel a bit more connection to it, I think, as well. Yeah, you're like, oh, I've been there. I know that place. Yeah. And it it's sort of, you know, kind of like 50 first dates and basically most adam sandler films these days where he writes yes. he writes it in an exotic locale to get himself and his mates a free holiday um yeah. it, i wonder if it didn't have that sort of vibe like it it has all of these elements that you wonder like you can just picture jason siegel sitting there putting it together like and then the two extremely attractive actresses fight over me in hawaii <laughs> yeah it is a bit of a uh, fantasy i guess it's like uh, the realization of of many things for him, but he pulled it off. Good on him. And there's a, there's probably a lot of things in this movie actually that are like fantasies coming to life, including you know the which we'll get to that like the puppet musical and just all these little things from his life. Oh, it's uh, so much of it is from his life that, and it's kind of you know I think it's a bit of him poking fun at himself, but I also think there's a lot of relatability to it. I think as you know someone who would consider mm. himself a himself sort of a fairly schlubby guy in you know seagull's strain then you know reflecting on past relationships and other things you can see sort of i guess just elements of your own experience and i wonder if that wasn't 
part of you know the reason for its success as well because especially in that genre so mm. often like as a male watching a rom-com there's so little i can identify with in a lot of ways yeah that's probably a good point to talk about this genre i i call this like a breakup movie so it is a rom-com obviously in the broader sense but i feel like yeah when it's told from the guy's perspective it's often this like getting dumped having to deal with it (laughs) what do you do and it, it seems like you mentioned before it's not really a film that comes out anymore so much but um it was definitely a thing back then because like only a couple of years before this you had the breakup with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston which was probably more told from his perspective I think and then prior to that as well one of my favorite films 500 days of summer yes again a fantastic breakup movie and I guess it's technically a rom-com so it was a really good time for these kinds of movies and the thing that I think makes Forgetting Sarah Marshall, <coughs> sorry, Forgetting Sarah Marshall unique is that it's filmed in this beautiful place. It's in Hawaii, and it's it's just got that great like juxtaposition of being in this paradise but being miserable at the same time. <laughs> that makes it funnier <laughs> because he's 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 meant to be having this amazing time, forgetting about all of his problems, and then he gets there and his problems are right there in front of him, and for the you know, for the first hour of this movie, he's crying and he's miserable. And that, to me, just makes it uh, a bit more fun than just seeing someone, you know, in a workplace scenario or something like that where they have to see their ex every day. Yeah, I think the the whole conceit is fairly interesting that the only reason he goes to Hawaii is because it was, you know, her favorite place and she was always banging on about it so the implication is that like in the five years they were together they never once went to hawaii together because he's (laughs) never been so it's like oh i guess i'll finally go and try to hang on to these last vestiges of this failed relationship and of course she's Mm. there with her new flame you know obviously russell brand killing it in this performance i think and i don't know about you but this was the first time i'd seen russell brand in anything he wasn't on my radar so I think this was probably a good role for him as well to get him on a lot of people's. Uh... Yeah, I'm trying to think what I, what else he's done apart apart from like getting to the Greek, which is kind of a weird sequel to this. Yeah, <laughs> in I in some ways I've not seen that film, so I, I cannot even comment yeah. on it. But I think he was. It's, it's bizarre. <laughs> well, because he was mostly from that sort of stand up kind of realm anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, he hosts, I know, and I had seen him hosting a TV show that was kind of like The Soup with um, uh, Joel McHale, oh, where yeah. it's like, here, here's something funny that happened in the news this week, and I'm going to tell some jokes about it, and then we're going to move on to the next bit, and that kind of thing. Super um, topical. Yes, yeah. So I feel like he did that kind of thing, and yeah, like you said, stand-up comedy. I don't think music is a maybe i'm maybe he had like some musical comedy happening as well but him being cast as this uh rock star or pop star is perfect because he's definitely got that look he's got that kind of half brit pop half edgy kind of pop star thing going about him I think he was a best man at one of the Gallagher's uh, weddings, like Liam Gallagher or something from Oasis. 
Well, they make so that. It, they do have a joke fits. about that in the film. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's got the he's got the same vibe about him. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be surprised to see him um, throwing down at a soccer game or something as well. No, after you know after a loss. <laughs> I think a difficult role to pull off as well because you have. I think he definitely has to, by the end of it, have the audience somewhat on side. Like you're supposed to realize that, you know, ostensibly at the start he is the villain in a way, mm. but and then I think his character develops to the point where you're just like, oh no, that's he wasn't doing any of this to be malicious because he literally does this yeah. to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's right it's 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 almost like rock stars play by different rules yeah. than everyone else and we can't hold them to the the, the ethics and standards of normal people no <laughs> <laughs> and and like and peter jason siegel's character has to say that to him at, when they're both out on the surfboards he's like you can't do that yeah it's like it's it's not what you do in, in this country <laughs> yeah, it's like he's smacking a puppy yeah. with a newspaper it's like no yeah pretty much Okay, so let's get into some of the categories. We'll start with the Rotten Tomatoes score. What do you have in your mind's eye for this film? See, I wonder if this is something that's slipped in favour over the years, but I would put it at... I'm going to go with 78%. It's a pretty good guess. It was 83. I was going to go with 83, but then I thought that was slightly (laughs) higher, so I docked it a few points. But yeah, 83 does seem like, you know, it quite good. Mm. Yeah, and I I think this is one of those movies that's, you know, it's got its crude moments for sure, obviously. But I I feel like it's a, like, compared to some other Apatow movies... It doesn't feel as mean. I mean, they've all... Like, it doesn't feel no, as mean. Like, <laughs> they've all got, like, a bit of heart to them, but this one, like, it's centred around this schlubby kind of... Like, you just sympathise with him for the majority of the film where you're just like, oh, come on, man. Like, you can dust yourself off. You'll be okay. Like, it, 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 it's there's not anything malicious in, in well, this movie, really. I think the other part is I I get the sense that the film was probably a bit of therapy for Siegel himself, which is touched on numerous times in the film through various scenes. One of the key scenes towards the end with uh, his character and um, Kristen Bell, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later, but you get the sense that this is Siegel processing a lot of stuff that he's gone through and realizing that, holy crap, I was probably depressed and had all this other stuff going on that I wasn't addressing at the time. And I think that's where Mm. some of this heart comes from because you do, it's, you know, he was a character who had these actual problems. Like it feels realistic. It's not just a jokey kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of like, and as you said, Apatow has done this in his other films. Definitely. But I think there's there's a really important scene that you just touched on where, you know, the movie starts off and it kind of introduces you to this character and it looks like he's pretty happy, like he's eaten Fruit Loops out of the giant pasta bowl, like I mentioned before. He's watching TV and he's playing music and he's dating this Hollywood star and it seems pretty awesome. But then there's a scene later in the movie where Sarah Marshall's telling him, like, you basically drove me to to cheat on you because you were depressed and never wanted to leave the house and 
you were miserable to, you'd, to live with. You'd wear the same pants for a week straight and <laughs> things like that. And yeah. and when it's reframed <laughs> through that lens, you're like, oh, yeah, this is the dude who is probably like fairly depressed and didn't realize it. And this is someone who's tried to get him help and he has not responded. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't justify cheating on someone especially for 12 months. Uh, but the, that re- yeah, like you said, that realization that there's this other side to the story is quite interesting. And, you know, it, it, it kind of brings home the fact that he's a musician with this dream to make a Dracula musical, but he's stuck doing like sound effects, basically like droning noises for a TV show. That's <laughs> yeah, it- clearly not like, winning any awards so no i guess he feels like he's not where he wants to be in life but you don't really get a sense of that until that kind of all comes around but we're, we're probably getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves like like i said 83 percent on rotten tomatoes filmed for 30 million dollars made 105 million dollars it's not like blockbuster anchorman or you know meet the fuckers money it's, but it is still a, a good profit there it's respectable and i think we started to see some of those other films' budgets creep up as well. Like, you would look at $30 million and think, what? You can't make anything for $30 million, especially on location in a lot of cases. But In Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it's interesting to look at that and think, you know, $100 million is mm. nothing to sneeze at. And I feel like these films have always done fairly well subsequently. You know, it, the for a comedy especially, I don't feel like the box office is where you're bringing in most of your money. They have a long tail. And especially back then, that tale probably held pretty well on DVD mm. and later Blu-ray sales. Yeah, and you, just looking at the cast, like there's some pretty big names now, but I think back then they wouldn't have been demanding too much. Like Russell Brand, as we said, not really a huge movie star. Paul Rudd had done a lot of comedies, but he wasn't like a leading man. It was pre-Ant-Man. Kristen Bell was Veronica Mars to most people. Yeah. Um, and Mila Kunis has since become a big star. Oh yes, you know whatever. And and, and Mila Kunis was that seventies show. And which of them do you think would have been would... the biggest at that time? Because I, I think it's probably between Kristen Bell and Mila Kunis. I think Mila Kunis was would probably be more recognisable because she was on TV for nine years. Yeah, and she had like some high profile like celebrity couple kind of things happening i feel like Kristen bell was on tv shows that weren't as popular like as as amazing as veronica mars was it got cancelled after like two seasons or something um she was on heroes which again like cancelled after two or three seasons some would say she wasn't like the she she wasn't the star of it or anything no what were you gonna say about it should have been cancelled after one yeah someone some would say should have been cancelled after one season (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, like like she was around, but she wasn't a big super duper star. Like no, she. I don't know if she is now so much, but I, she's definitely been in a lot more films. I think now. she's that solid yeah. upper middle class of show business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Jason Siegel, like, I guess because he wrote the movie, I don't know if he would have been cutting a massive check to himself to, to be in it. It was probably more like he gets the, some part of the takings. So yeah, I think that thirty million dollar budget, they would a lot of that would have gone into just like getting it made in Hawaii, 
too. And even the supporting cast, Jonah Hill. Really, really amazing supporting cast, but not huge like stars at that point in time. Well, as as much as they were starting to become popular and starting to 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 do more. And apparently, Kristen Wiig was in this, but her scene got cut. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And again, she was at that point just a Saturday Night Live cast member. It was pre Bridesmaids, obviously, and um, not what she is now. So they really did a great job casting this movie and getting people at points in time before they they blew up so to speak same with bill Hader, like he'd done knocked up with a year before i think he was in with kristen lee yeah. as well they were both in that shut up movie as was jason siegel uh as was jonah hill but um again not like very very much well before any of these people had a lot of experience in these bigger leading roles not 21 jump street or wolf of wall street jonah hill Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple of uh, of lines here from the critics at the time that, that kind of sum up for me what's great about this film. So the independent critic wrote, one could easily put forth the argument that it's actually the supporting players who elevate forgetting Sarah and Marshall to such delightful heights. I think we just touched on that. Uh, Jack McBrayer, another one, another like TV actor, I guess, known from 30 Rock that just translated so well into this movie. And then a comment from NPR that said, with pratfalls, yucks, a crying jag, and what is starting to seem like the requisite flash of nudity, Jason Siegel becomes this year's adorably hapless movie schlub. So, you know, those two comments, it's, it's really the combination of Jason Siegel getting a chance to, to shine as, as a comedic lead, along with a, a great supporting cast. I think they're... The things that make this movie pretty special along with the location of Hawaii. I can't disagree with any of that. And again, so much of it is probably just that balance. Because I think there could be criticisms of Siegel's performance. Because he sometimes... I don't think he'd quite developed into a fully-fledged film actor at this point. There are still some... And it could be that some of it is probably a little bit awkward for him to play out, especially if it's related to things that he did in his real life. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. It's interesting though, like after this movie, thinking about what his career became, I don't know that it was, I don't know that it played out the way that I thought it would because he did I Love You Man with Paul Rudd like a year later, yeah. which is a great bromance movie and great chemistry between those two guys. And I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of really any big comedies that he's been like a lead role in since then. He's definitely done more like indie yeah. drama films and, and stuff like that. Like I go to obviously the Muppet movie. Um, sure, that's a, that's a good example. And then it's not, it's not, no, it's the not Muppets in this. Is, is a different category altogether. <laughs> but it's isn't it so yeah. hilarious to see how well that mapped out from this film? Like when you go back and watch, you're like, oh, it makes sense that they gave him that gig. It does. And then yeah. Jeff, who lives at home, who I I really enjoy that film. Yeah, yeah. And then I can't remember what the movie's called, but it's it was like a, a Netflix movie like five years ago where uh, everyone finds out that there's no afterlife like they find out like proof like physical proof of it and it results in this phenomenon of people like committing suicide 
I don't know if you've you've heard of that, but it's All a right. very like dark independent drama it that he's like dark. the lead in. Yeah, yeah, and it's like what would happen if if this was proved like scientifically proven. Yeah, and um, that's the the premise, and it's interesting. It's about like people finding like where else do you meaning find meaning in life and yeah. stuff. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting movie, I guess. It's but uh, it's not what you think he would have gone after making a, a film like this. Okay, so we'll go, we'll go. That's a good segue into what have you done for me lately? So Jason Siegel, he did a movie called Our Friend in 2019, which I haven't seen, but I really want to now because it's got Casey Affleck in it, and I'm a big fan of Casey Affleck, so I have to check that one out. And then last year he was in a TV series that he also created and starred in called Dispatches from Elsewhere. I think it was like ten episodes, and it was an AMC series so i don't know if it's available over here but did you hear about this at all i to be honest he hasn't been on my radar in quite a while so both things you've mentioned i haven't actually heard of but Mm. they do sound interesting i agree that casey affleck always makes some pretty interesting choices and if seagull's writing it would be interesting to see what he's writing these days because i wonder if part of the reason that things tapered off for him is that as apatow has always said you need to build your own vehicle essentially and i wonder if he just sort of Mm -hmm. stopped doing that for a little bit yeah or if he decided to write these more indie darker kind of dramatic pieces instead of the the comedy that he initially became known for oh for sure and i i do think that there are probably i don't want to say a lot of actors but i have to feel that there are some actors out there who once they get to a particular point in their career where their financials are sorted they're mm-hmm. not really chasing those paydays anymore, so they do just go for the things that interest them. Yeah, well, he did nine years of How oh, I Met Your Mother. Those residuals would be great. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he wouldn't have to work again, that's for sure. But even I remember reading like maybe after season seven or, or midway through, he was like, this is my last year on the show. Yeah. And he just... He continued to come back for like two more seasons after saying that. I... So clearly, clearly wasn't like happy, completely happy being there to the point where he would say that he was dumb, but convinced I... to come back for the cash. And it, well, and that's the thing. I I wonder if that show for some of those actors, especially, was almost like a second career for them. It's kind of like when Green Day released American Idiot and it just blew up for them and it was this whole <laughs> second stage of their career. I feel that yep. there must have been serious discussions about for some of them, this might be the biggest thing I ever do in my life and I need to ride this thing till the wheels fall off because there's a very good chance like Josh Radnor is, does he have anything after that? Nothing. And that would be the thing because you'd be. I imagine he's looking at it like, I don't know if I'll ever get anything after this jason can you please man just help us out allison has buffy (laughs) and i cannot believe she's blown up another tv show and yeah you know it's just this such a i wonder if maybe it was that thing where i can understand you get sick of it i mean look at jerry seinfeld they're gonna throw Mm. a million dollars an episode at him and he turned it down but he already had all that money and i have to wonder if those last few years especially are where the actors can get those production credits and they can start to bump up that pay a little bit and renegotiate those contract terms to make it much more favorable. And that's where you get those lovely, you know, higher level payouts. It'll keep you going for a few more years after that. And I, mm. I don't know, it might just be a weird conspiracy theory I have, but I feel that like that was, <laughs> that was probably a thing that happened. Like they had to 
maybe all get together as the core cast and have a discussion, like a frank economic discussion about what it means to bail on a TV show that you can get two more years out of. And for some of them, it might be the difference between being able to pick and choose projects or just having to do whatever someone will give you money to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting to look at the, I guess, the four stars of that show or five and what they've done since then. Yes, five. Sorry. If we, if... <laughs> Sorry, Robin Shabatsky. <laughs> yeah. So if, if we go through like, okay, so Siegel, he's kind of gone the indie route. And I wonder if he was like maybe sick of doing comedy after nine years of a sitcom. That's one theory. Yeah, it's it, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And then you mentioned Josh Radner. I don't know if I've seen him in anything pre or post How I Met Your Mother. Not another teen like, movie. Literally anything. He has a cameo. Okay, he's, he's in that. He's, okay. he's the guy leading them around the campus, and it's like 20 okay. seconds of screen time, if that. Sure. We might get to that one on this on this podcast. But uh, I think he's making music now. He's yeah. like a career musician. He, play, he plays with Ben Lee. Oh, yeah. Of all people, uh, I mean, I think. sure, yeah. why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he definitely was like, I'm done with this, I guess, which surprises me because after doing that show for so long, I feel like people would have been like, I'll go watch him in a rom-com, you know? I wonder if it's not just a, a logistics thing as well because so often a complaint of TV actors is that they're so locked in that they can't fit films into their schedule generally and if they've got a contract in there sometimes it has clauses that says they can prevent you from starring in a film like you cannot go and do this other project we need you Mm. for this so it could be sometimes productions will wait for a particular actor and sometimes they say well we're very sorry we have to recast the role thank you very much so it could be that was what was getting him a little bit sick of it as well because if he does have this burgeoning movie career but he's still signed to How I Met Your Mother for however many years, there's very few ways out of that for an actor, especially if you're not in a very powerful position. Yeah. But, I mean, since finishing the show is really yeah. a surprise <laughs> that he hasn't gone on to do it. Neil Patrick Harris has done a lot of interesting work, especially like a movie like Gone Girl and, you know, he's done... Series of unfortunate events on on Netflix. The you know taking that role that Jim Carrey had brought to to life years previous. So he's he's like got no shortage of uh, of opportunities, and th- and that's cool. He's probably had the most varied experience since the show finished, like hosting award yeah. shows and all that kind of thing. And now he's making board games and things like that. Like yeah, right didn't know that that's cool well, i think it's tied in with his magic stuff that he does as well oh yeah and kobe smolders has just gone like marvel cinematic universe so i guess like that's got her sorted out for yeah a good decade and allison i don't know what um she's, she's done she no idea she did do a i don't know if it was on netflix or prime but she did do a movie recently um but again i think you know where she was in her career it was you know probably again really surprising to have another very multi-season successful show because so rarely does that happen for tv actors yeah that's true that's true we're getting very sidetracked here um russell brand what's he done since this movie a couple of big uh, film roles he married um katie perry (laughs) (laughs) no but he's he's definitely dropped off as far as like being a star because it felt like for a while like at least for a few years it, it was uh you know he was someone that 
maybe you wouldn't go to a movie to see him, but if he was in the film, it might like, yeah, yeah, it might encourage you to to go along. He was in apparently that Arthur remake episode. (laughs) I never saw that. Uh, yeah, but last year he was in an episode of Neighbours, the Australian soap Neighbours. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how that happened with COVID and everything. And no, maybe they filmed it the year before, but that's in his that's in his IMDb, so it, it happened. I trust it. Uh, but yeah, I'll have to <laughs> look that up on YouTube because that's wild. But uh, other than that, he's done like voice roles. Uh, he was like in the Despicable Me movie, I think. That's either coming out this year or is already out. Uh, Kristen Bell, Frozen 2 was the last like big thing she did in 2019. She's got a film coming out this year called Queen Pins, and that's starring with uh, a bit of an ensemble cast, including Vince Vaughn. And Jack McBrayer, who I mentioned earlier in his uh, podcast, known for his, mostly known for 30 Rock, he's also in that Queen Pins Film. Does does um so, Kristen Bell's husband Dax Shepard have anything to do with Dax Shepard? Is because I know they've done a few things together as well, but I haven't. He he wasn't on the like poster for it, so I'm not sure if he's ah, involved. Okay. But yeah, we've just binged through like Parenthood this year for the first time, and yeah, very very high on Dax Shepard after. <laughs> After going through that, I'm, I'm very keen to get to like idiocracy on this podcast soon so I can get some more Dax Shepard. Uh, Bill Hader, who is, is great in this film. Adam's Family 2, he did a voice in, and he also did a voice in Marvel's MODOK uh, animated series. Paul Rudd, we all know, Ant-Man. He's got Ghostbusters Afterlife. And there's a TV series called The Shrink Next Door, which I had never heard of but apparently he's like a lead role in that so either it's either out in the states or it's coming out soon and the last person i'll mention before we wrap this up is jonah hill he's in a movie that i've mentioned previously on this podcast coming out this year that i'm really excited about it's called don't look up and it's directed by adam mckay who's known for a lot of his comedies but this is a black comedy starring leonardo dicaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, and it's going to be released on Netflix. I'm so fascinated by this concept because Leonardo DiCaprio has never done a comedy, to my knowledge, not since he's been famous, at least. No. Am I am I am I right in saying that? I, I feel like he's I, never I, done the easy like chick flick rom com that would have made him millions and millions of dollars. No, I I'd say he's done roles that you could find comedic elements in but i would not say that leonardo caprio has ever conspicuously done a comedy mm. wolf of wall street's hilarious but you're right and, and so is uh once upon a time in hollywood he's hilarious in that movie too oh in my absolutely but uh yeah to, to see him in something with adam mckay is really fascinating so stay glued to netflix for that one we skipped past it because I wanted to talk about Jason Siegel, but uh, we usually say what the number one song is when this movie released in 2008, April 14. It's an artist that I've never heard of, Gabriella Kill Me, and it, it was a song called Sweet About Me, which maybe some of our listeners know, but it's That's, a yeah. generic pop, pop star to me. Sounds yeah. like a Billboard Top 100 from <laughs> early 2008. 
Yeah. Well, that was the Aria charts, that one. Oh, so okay. Apparently made it, made, it, made it big over here, but I have no idea who she no. was. I wonder if it was like some like Australian Idol like runner-up or oh, something it, that just it could have been. had a big song. Who knows? But uh, we'll move on to what's the most 2000s moment of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. What did you have for this oh, one? This is tricky because I was expecting this movie to be way more problematic than I remembered it to be. <laughs> um, and I think on the whole, it's still fairly sweet. And, you know, 2021 vision um, being what it is, I th- think that there's a few um, references to uh, taking the battery out of a mobile phone was very yeah 2008. And um, that, that whole conversation. Oh, yeah. Like, like the conversation about the mobile phone that will kill you. And yeah, I, I found that so... Um, funny because it's like clearly in the earlier days of mobile phones and i I almost feel like a plot line like that idea now wouldn't be as far-fetched no but you gotta imagine because i wonder if that's an inside joke and how many pitch meetings were held with that exact premise Uh, just people groaning at this idea over and over again but apparently um kristen bell was in a film that had a similar kind of plot and I don't think that they planned that as like an inside joke. I think it just happened that way. So, yeah. And the only other one would be maybe when um, maybe when he's up on the rock and Mila Kunis is trying to get him to jump off and she's sort of, you know, hurling insults at him. I can see your vagina from down here and things like that. I'm like, oh, I wonder if they'd still do that today or if they'd tweak that a little bit. And again, it doesn't seem malicious in any way, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess she's questioning his manhood is, is the idea of it. And it, it, it's it's a gender thing that, you're right, might not exist now. But it could very well... It, it, it says something about the type of character she yeah. is, I think. They're, they're trying to show that she's um, not like one of the boys, but a, kind of like that. Like, she's not the, the character that maybe you thought she was the first time you saw her. The thing that I had for this was like towards the end of the movie, you get a really good close-up view of like a Motorola flip phone, which is like peak 2008. Um, (laughs) Just like if there's a time capsule of of that year, it has to have like a Motorola flip phone in it. And I get the complete absence of social media from the breakup process, which is extremely mid-2000s. Yeah, it's... um, I mean, yeah, we'll get to that for one of the later categories, but there's a there's a couple of pop culture references too. Like he, when he's sitting drinking by himself, getting sloshed, he he oh. makes some jokes about Sex in the City. Oh yes, <laughs> and being like like I'm Miranda or whatever. I'm Samantha. I and have sex with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was very two thousands. Like if you if you did that now, like it would be a joke that was appealing to older yeah. people rather than like the general audience (laughs) but uh yeah it doesn't there's nothing that's like super dated about the film which i think helps it a lot so what do you have for the most iconic scene oh (laughs) i think for most people it's the towel drop four minutes into the film that just yeah i think sets the tone like the the intro is feels very measured for a reason and then it's that moment that i think lets you know where this is gonna happen like just yeah and then of course they were they repeat it a few times and you're almost 
um, get the echidna when he sort of moves into the kitchen and bends over and he's like, oh no, please cut away. <laughs> yeah, he sits down on the couch at one point and you're like, "What's what, what are they going to show here? But no, it, it, it works. And that is a really jarring and shocking moment, uh, definitely for this type of film. It's, it, it's such a... <laughs> Like, nude scenes are just not something you expect from your lead actor, for starters. But especially for your male lead, it's no. just... I, I just can't think of anyone else that's done it apart from... Well, I just can't think of anyone that's done it full frontal. Like, Will Ferrell gets his clothes off, but it's usually like a shot from behind. Yeah. And, you know, that's, the, not, the, that's not super uncommon. No, the leading man will always do the butt shot and often there's the pressure for the leading lady to do the chest shot, but very rarely do mm-hmm. you get the male full frontal, especially when you're watching it on a cinema screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I read in an interview, um, Siegel said that at, at one of the premieres, his sister was uh, in, like losing her mind at that scene just laughing and his and his mother was in tears yeah that would uh i wonder if he would warn them before it happens because that's probably not something people want as a surprise (laughs) it's it's definitely the scene that i think comes to mind for this film and it's it's because it's like if i said to you like what's a movie where the the male lead gets naked completely naked and it's probably the first thing that would just pop into your head is like forgetting Sarah Marshall. Like it's not like it happened. Like, like I said, it's not doesn't happen that often. I think that it's like the the thing that you think of for this movie because it's such a rare yeah shot. <laughs> uh, and the fact that it is apparently a, a true story is amazing. Uh, yeah, the... he, he was dumped in this kind of scenario where he had no clothes on. And I I mean the the rumors that I've heard was that it was Linda Cardellini from Freaks and Geeks who was uh, dumping him. I don't know if uh, that holds. So the, yeah, so the the trivia that I read was that a lot of the a lot of the stories that happened throughout this film are based on his relationship real with, experiences yeah. of um, of being dumped and Lindsay Cardinelli being one of those, but not the nude one. So that he said, like, I think he oh, he's come to out and specifically protect, said, no, that was not, yes, that was not that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which I think is the, the right thing to do because it saves her getting asked questions yes. about it as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess it's the whole like, like I don't know if he went to Hawaii and saw her there or or what happened, like what from this movie. It, m- it may have just been the emotions that he went through after being dumped by her that came out in this film yeah i think it's a good Um, blend of probably fact and fiction like what if i would have been at what if i'd said that or what if i'd gone here as alongside the Mm -hmm. you know apparently at one point he did want to write a dracula dracula rock opera and everyone told him that that was a terrible idea (laughs) yeah and i think the story that that i read was that uh even whilst he was being dumped with no clothes on he had the idea that this would be hilarious in a movie. And as soon as, you know, as soon as this woman walks out of the door, I need to write it down. (laughs) I mean, it does work. I I love his refusal to put clothes on because that makes it real. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I I thought I had to bring up some other scenes for this one just so that we're not just talking about naked Jason Siegel for, for 10 minutes. 
But uh, the dinner scene, like the double date, oh, is yes. pretty hilarious. It, just super awkward and a comedy of errors, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yeah, the way it escalates from... Uh, I mean, it kind of flips around from earlier in the movie. It's Aldous Snow inviting him to, to join them for, for dinner. And then as Sarah starts to get more jealous of Peter's new relationship, she's the one that invites him and... It starts off friendly, and as they drink, it gets more and more like passive aggressive and awkward. And then Jonah Hill's coming in there and <laughs> asking about his like, you know, did you listen to my CD? And it's it's just a great uh, comedy scene. And the the t shirt, the, the the concept of the shirt that he doesn't like wearing that she bought for him, and that repre- like to her representing the difference between yeah the two of them and, and Peter. And, and like Russell Brand just being hilarious and like spilling the drink and he's just a funny man in general and you can see a lot of like I don't always notice scenes that feel improvised but when Russell Brand's talking I feel like it's all improvised yeah it does it does have like sort of an off-the-cuff quality as opposed to something yes. that's rehearsed and the old guy that walks past like tapping his shirt like same shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then like there's, you know, often for this category, I can't go past any musical moments in in these movies because they often are the ones that, that hold up and stand out to me. Yep. Playing playing the the Dracula song in the bar is is the other one that I wanted to mention because it's it's that time where you notice like okay this this is a guy who has been playing music for this crime show. But he really does does have this other talent, and there's something there. Yeah, and it it it, sh- it shows not only his sense of humor and his creativity, but it also shows like the emotion behind that song. That's about a, a puppet Dracula, <laughs> and that he's 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 willing to go there. And um, Mila Kunis's character. Uh, Rachel, yeah, Rachel. She sees that as well. So I think that's the moment that it tweaks for her into thinking there's something more to this guy. So it's like it's happening to her at the same time as it's happening to the audience. Any and any scene with Jason Siegel crying hysterically, I think, is great. So the, obviously, <laughs> the one where he gets the call about the hysterically crying woman and he tries to play it off as the floor above him, which clearly Rachel knows is not the case, or again tying in with the muppet movie later the muppet theme song on the piano and just breaking down into tears as he plays that yeah it's good it's good you can't you can't go wrong with like a six foot four uh white guy just crying no, it's like a, a sobbing wreck like a, in the like a child the fetal position on the floor <laughs> yeah okay so Stephen, what holds up the best in this film I think there's a lot of it that holds up. I guess the core message in many ways, and tying back into what I think was probably the most serious key scene, which is their uh, discussion um, of the reasons why they broke up. And we finally get to see it a little bit from um, Sarah Marshall's side of things. You know, we see her Mm. perspective. Because up to that point in the film, we've really only gotten to see Peter's perspective as to what the issues in the relationship were. And I think... It showing him that his behavior was toxic in a sense as well and he just couldn't see what it was doing to her 
and he has to shoulder mm. some of the responsibility because I think up to that point he's been able to blame her for everything. And I think we, the audience, as well up to that point can. We can sort of make her out to be the bad guy. And then it's sort of you, the audience, having to weigh up, well, is her cheating on him valid after her trying to spend, who knows, it sounds like years trying to fix him and ultimately giving up and failing. So I think it is, and it probably ties into 500 Days of Summer a little bit as well, which you'd mentioned earlier that there are always two sides to a breakup and sometimes Mm. it's not necessarily someone is to blame. It's a series of things that have happened that eroded this relationship and the best thing for both parties is to go their separate ways. Yeah, and you you make a good point. Like the film starts off, and you kind of just think, like, oh, this woman is a terrible person, and she just dumped him out of nowhere, and he's just caught blindsided, and it's because she's found someone that she likes more than him. But yeah, getting that full sense of of what's been happening adds a lot to it, and it, it's a nice it's it's not quite a twist, but it, it is a it is a nice little emotional. Um, detail that just adds an extra extra bit of uh, depth to the story so the thing that i had holding up the best was just peter's arc in general i think it's just um a, a really like re-watching it now after all these years it still really resonates with me you got this guy that's kind of going through the motions in life and then hits rock bottom and then he's trying to pick himself up but he's dragged through glass as he goes on holiday and has to watch his ex with this rock star and then you know that acceptance and the way that you see him turn around and the way that they show the difference between him ordering cocktails for breakfast and kind of like booing people that are in love (laughs) until he eventually starts going to weddings and clapping and he's suddenly excited about life again because he's met this woman that makes him forget about his ex and then the whole closure of the movie ending with this puppet uh musical rock opera whatever you want to call it and him after being made aware of his own failings as a as a boyfriend for all those years he kind of takes that self-reflection and he you know he hurts rachel and has to reflect on that in in uh in isolation as he goes back to the mainland america so i I just like the journey that you go on with him as he has these different phases and it's uh it's just a it's just a good time to to watch that and there's so much great humor along the way too i i can't disagree with any of that i think you've hit the nail on the head with a lot of those points and i think again as for a lot of audience members i think it's relatable like most people have been through a breakup and it's not going Mm. to have gone exactly the way it does in this film but there are parts of that that you can say yep, I know what that feels like, or I did that in some cases. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other thing that's worth throwing out there is that just this puppet musical idea. Like, in in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, it seems like this crazy idea to, to do this thing, and the fact that he went on to pitch, I think, the Muppets movie and to get to write or assist in creating or bringing that to life and starring in it, it really shows like this is where the seed was planted. And I'm sure that no doubt led to 
directly led to that movie getting made that Muppets kind of come back so that I love that I love that that happened basically as a result of of including that scene in this movie yeah and I I, I do wonder if that was like something that had been broached before and Disney were just like oh no that's not going to happen or I don't know if they had the rights at that <laughs> point whoever was the rights holder if they were like no we're not going to do that we don't think you can pull it off and then obviously this movie goes on to be extremely successful and they're like hey he can, this guy can write a movie and more importantly he can write a movie that has puppets in it why not give him the job yeah bring in uh, Brett from Flight of the Concords and you've got a winning formula <laughs> yeah so what holds up the worst I don't know if there's anything that necessarily holds up the worst again it's probably just the prevalence of social media in relationships today that i'm wondering if it would make this film not necessarily resonate with a current audience as much yeah um i also had a hard time coming up with anything for this i didn't write anything down so it's i'm not i don't have much to add no it's and that's the thing it's weird isn't it it's it's not like you go oh it's a timeless classic but i think it strikes just the right balance of outside of a global pandemic still semi-believability for these things to happen I like the idea that even though like he does still seem to be like a working class show business person, his house doesn't look very nice. The only reason he's in the fancy room is because Rachel feels sorry for him. Um, Yeah. (laughs) All of it's just all of these elements come together to show someone who, you know, managed to scrape up enough money to go on a five day break to get over their girlfriend and has just had that, you know, crumble around them. I think there's sometimes a tendency in these, especially like, location films to go a little bit too opulent and i think they avoid that with this yeah like the majority of the film is just around the resort and then occasionally they go on a hike and you see some you know wider shots of the the hawaii area it it does feel very hawaii and it's it's got that uh like i said that escapism feeling of uh getting to see a beautiful part of the world for for a couple of hours but yeah it, it's like i said it's hard to think of anything that that holds up really badly because i just think that it was a, a really well-made film and there's there's not really you know despite the fact that it is an apatow kind of universe film i guess for lack of a better term it doesn't have any of the super offensive jokes that a lot of those movies do in hindsight like it doesn't have anyone making fun of of gay people. It's not making fun of disabled people with slurs or terms that have become slurs. So I, I think in that aspect, it, it holds up a lot better than films of that era, for sure. And I, I wonder if there was maybe a slightly less of an improv ratio in this film compared to some of Apatow's, you know, his own directed work. Hmm. I, yeah, I did read that there was. A fair bit. Actually, <laughs> I feel like I read 30% of the film was improvised, which seems like a lot to me. So, yeah, I guess it's it was just a different um, different group of people improvising. <laughs> and uh, I can definitely see Paul Rudd's scenes being heavily improvised, Bill Hader's scenes, and Russell Brand's. Uh, and even Jack McBrayer, to be honest, being someone that has come from 30 Rock and... I don't know that 30 Rock itself would be an improv kind of show, but 
I think it's the environment. Someone that the environment on yeah, set and, when someone starts to yeah. do it, and you've got that go ahead from the director or even the writer. You know, the writer is your lead actor, and if you you do it once as it's written, and then mm-hmm. if you've got something funnier, let's see what happens, and if that's better, that's what we cut into the movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, leading on from that, is there anyone that you, that you think would be offended by this movie today? Because all I had in here was maybe, like, Hawaiians, because there is, obviously, it's it's a movie set in their land, and there's some... I, I don't think there's anything malicious or even, like, super stereotypical about Hawaiians, but there's a couple of references to, to their culture and, like, the you know maybe making fun of the the native uh language and how certain words sound like the 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 fish like the the state fish or whatever it is <laughs> so i don't know like uh, <laughs> i don't know if that's offensive or not i'm just like kind of scraping for something because it's really not a very offensive film to me no i think the you know obviously most of the time it's just making fun of jason siegel so <laughs> i think it works True. in that regard and you're you're right. There, it could be that um, people take offense at some of those maybe more stereotypical representations of Hawaiian people and culture. But I would ask a Hawaiian uh, national to answer that question. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of lines about people who say like, you know, I, I, I think Kristen Bell's character says like people come to Hawaii to like escape, like because they're not happy with their real life. And then there's a couple of other characters that are like, that say things like, you know, they, they came to Hawaii to change who they want to be and to start fresh. And I'm sure that's probably more or less accurate for some people, but it's probably not a good generalization to make about an entire state, especially when there's, there are, there are a lot of people that have moved there for the lifestyle, but there's also mm. just a lot of people that live there and grew up there. I think that's totally fair. And, and I think that's, you know, partially trying to, just dig into elements of the Sarah Marshall characters maybe being a bit mean when she wants to be as well. Yeah. But the uh, <laughs> the Chuck character played by Paul Rudd is... Um, I, I did find that a very enjoyable kind of stereotype, to be honest, of, of the person that's moved to Hawaii. The, the beach bump. They just, they, yeah, they just dig the lifestyle and he's smoked way too much weed and can't think straight half the time and again it's uh, Paul Rudd so he looks exactly the same <laughs> as he does now basically like he looked... well he does have the kind of uh, sun bleached hair though I noticed <laughs> like his hair is just a, a few shades lighter from being in the, the you know the salt water yeah. and, and the sun all day yeah okay uh, does this movie pass the internet relevancy test I don't really think it does. Like, I, I can't think of any, like, moments from this film that just seem to pop up. No, there's there's really very little in it that I would consider meme-worthy or gifable. Um, yeah, or even, like, even like even quotable. Like, there's not, like, a huge amount of quotes. Like, if you compare this to even, like, a 40-year-old virgin or super bad or anything like that, it's, it's not like people walk around dropping quotes from this movie. There's only there's only one that I use regularly, <laughs> and it's I bet you think strippers like you too, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That no, that that is a good line, and, and it's not like there's anything wrong with the script. It's hilarious, and there's a lot of great jokes, but they're not those snappy like one-liners, I guess. So that's a simple that's a simple no from us. But 
Next one is how would modern smartphones and social media change this movie? You've alluded to it a few times already. I think there would be like a huge amount of social media stalking happening if you made this movie again. And uh, that would be anything from the initial breakup. So instead of like he's deleting all the iPhotos <laughs> off his iMac or whatever it is at the time, you'd be, I guess, going through your Instagram feed and deleting posts and unfollowing on all the different social medias and uh, then deciding that you want to stalk them. So you have to go back to their page, but you've unfollowed and they've got a, maybe they've got a private account. So you have to like request access or you have to like sign into someone else's account to, to see what they're up to or create like a fake profile. You could have a lot of fun with that in this kind of um, movie set today. Yeah, that's probably the the main part of it is just how I guess it would be interesting to look at, you know, a film set around that as opposed to this and look at how much dating has changed due to social media and things like, you know, I'm sure there'd be a scene at the start where Peter's just trawling through Tinder like a maniac rather than trawling through bars like a maniac. Yeah, when he goes to the bar with Bill Hader and Bill Hader's character is just like, I feel like I'm going to catch, you know, gonorrhea yeah. just from sitting on this couch or whatever he says. Like, that's um, that's a great scene. We don't scene, come to places yeah, like this. W- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it really would be these days, it would be him and, him and his stepbrother, Bill, played by Bill Hader, sitting there flicking through their phone and saying, what about this girl? Oh, no, she's, you know, she's says that she's into hiking. Like, I can't do that, you know, or whatever it is. Like, I think that, that would be more the direction that it would it would take these days. Creating a and, um, creating a profile for him or, and you know, photoshopping a, a display pic for him and things <laughs> like that. Yeah, picking the right, like, set of photos to, to show the, the three different sides of you that you want people to see. And, and then the other part of it would be, you know, having a Hollywood uh, actor as, as the ex. I feel like she is portrayed as this very narcissistic uh, person. So there'd be a lot of, like, her in Hawaii forcing, like, Russell Brand's character to take, like, selfies and to even to, like, take photos to make Peter jealous and, and putting them on Instagram and just that kind of... Uh, or she'd be looking through the photos that, that and... Kind of seeing him in the background (laughs) (laughs) yeah or she'd see a photo maybe of him and and rachel and that makes her jealous so yeah it's um it's certainly a film that would lend itself to to modern smartphones and social media pretty well i think that answers the question of of what it would look like if you made it today and i think there's nothing about the film that would stop you from being able to make it today aside from the fact that we can't travel anywhere at the moment (laughs) Uh, Stephen it's time for the Steve Buscemi spark plug award Steve Buscemi a real spark plug and this is a tough one because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great supporting roles there's only probably one person that's like almost literally like a flash and then you never see them again William Baldwin playing the the lead on the crime show with all the terrible like puns <laughs> and stuff, he's pretty hilarious. Oh yeah, uh, but then you've got these reoccurring characters that uh, I think they really are spark plugs whenever they show up. Whether it's Jonah Hill being the the maitre d or the, the waiter that's just way too obsessed with Aldous Snow, 
Paul Rudd as the surfer bro, you know, when life gives you lemons. And then Jack McBrayer as the honeymoon version, essentially, trying to make things happen with his new wife and just the the way that he conveys his frustrations <laughs> in like the most like wholesome way uh it's 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 something that only that actor i feel like could pull off because he's he's so pure in in what we know of him from like 30 rock yeah the the kenneth character definitely it felt very much in that same wheelhouse yeah <laughs> yeah for sure so out of these kind of four guys is there who, who jumps out to you most as like the spark plug when they show up on screen i gotta give it to jonah hill i think because i i just love just his just the way he looks at russell brand in all of those scenes <laughs> just the way he conveys just admiration and desperation at the same time and his awkward delivery of things like oh here's some coconut cake from the hotel it's it's definitely from the hotel it's not from me yeah. just he's just so ridiculously sad that you feel bad for him yeah <laughs> and then you've got like him offering alcoholic beverages to Alice though and he's like oh, I'm sober for you know years or whatever and he just like looks like he's so shattered that he's either didn't know that or forgot that or whatever it is it's like yeah, like I just blew my chance or whatever. So, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, he, that character is definitely like kind of, kind of pretty like well rounded out for just someone that just shows up. Like you feel like you know who that guy is, and that, like maybe you've met people like that. And it also adds to the to like it, it gets a bit weird because so Alder Snow is like the same character in Get Him to the Greek, and Jonah Hill's the other lead in that film, but he's not playing this character he's an that all character? new character uh, he's playing a completely weird. different person yeah it just doesn't make any sense like i feel like they could have just found a way to get that waiter over to you know the mainland with a new job as a record label like assistant essentially but uh now they, they made a new character for him but uh yeah well let's give the award to jonah hill I mean, apparently he did get another film out of it, so they must yeah. have liked him too. Yeah, he, he proved, I guess, that they had a bit of chemistry together at least. Not that Getting to the Greek was like a super well-received uh, comedy compared to this. The last question is, Forgetting Sarah Marsh is still a good movie. Stephen, what's your answer? Absolutely. Uh, again, it's, it's not going to be for everybody, but I still think it holds up. Yeah, there's, there's no reason uh, not to watch this movie again. It's something, like I said before, I've rewatched it a bunch of times over the years. And it's just a, apart from maybe just being a slightly longer than, than a, you know, an easy rewatch. It's, um, you know, what am I trying to say? It, it, it's a movie that you can just throw on and, and enjoy and have a good laugh. And it, it's just a little bit longer than probably you want it to be if you've already seen it before. But uh, aside from that, yeah. that's a minor gripe. And I think that the humor holds up. It's not like there's nothing in here that's going to be offensive to people. There's nothing that uh, has dated terribly. And if anything, it's, it's more interesting now because of who some of these actors have become since making the movie. So... Definitely gets the uh, the tick from me. Gets a tick from you. It's one of those, uh, 
it's one of those rare comedies that uh, I've got nothing bad to say about, really. It also catches some people at their peak. Yeah, I, I think we could um, safely state that, given that previously we talked about how some of them didn't seem to go on to do too much after this. But I yeah. think you are right. I would still thoroughly recommend people watching it. And aside from it being slightly too long, I think an hour and 50 minutes is fairly long for a comedy so I think if they trimmed, you know, 10 to 15 minutes off it, it'd feel a little bit tighter and maybe a bit punchier. But I think a lot of that ends up just being in service of developing these characters. So I can't gripe about it too much. Yeah, I think we probably don't need quite so many scenes where they're showing how depressed he is when he arrives in Hawaii. <laughs> like it becomes pretty, it's pretty obvious already. And they just probably have one or two many examples of how that manifests but yeah it's, it's all right when you compare it to the you know the two and a half or hours of uh this is 40 or funny people which i'm, I'm keen to get to on this podcast uh those kinds of child appetite movies then one hour 50 is not too bad <laughs> no it's manageable definitely manageable and as you said an easy watch yeah for sure all right, uh, Stephen, where can people catch you if they want to find you on the social medias? Uh, Gorath44000 on Twitter and occasionally turning some things out for player2.net.au. Brilliant. Uh, so, of course, you can catch me at Jono himself. Triggerwitch is out now. It's on the Switch. It's on uh, the Xbox platforms and it's on the PlayStation 4 uh, and with the PlayStation 5 update coming out later this year. So plenty to look forward to with that if you're if you're into a twin stick shooter experience uh, i'd really love to see people pick that up and, and let me know what you think uh there's a lot of uh you know pop culture references and stuff in there that kind of relate to comedy rewind in, in some ways but uh f- f- for now we can say you know subscribe share the podcast with your friends you can grab your 8-bit merch over at shop8bit.net we want to leave we, we want to see you leaving those itunes ratings and reviews uh, as well as Podchaser or any other podcast service that lets you do so. Uh, we want to thank our Kofi producers. If you want to chip in a, a dollar or more a month, you can get over to ko-fi.com slash we are 8-bit. And that's a great way to support the work that's happening. Not only Comedy Rewind, The Hungry Gamers, Hoop Dreams, and all the other podcasts within the 8-bit collective. Uh, putting in work my other podcasts, we will be having a AMA with myself and the other developers, at, or the developers at Rainbite, I should say, uh, as part of uh, the Trigger Witch release, just going over pretty much any anything and everything involving the, the development of that game. So that'll be fun. But for now, dear listeners, we want to say thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Be kind. <laughs>